would be a great start for today. For one, we're looking at two stories, and we're going to contrast them. The reason we're looking at two stories and taking the time to look at two at the same time instead of breaking each one down individually is because I think, from my studying, it looks like Luke actually put these two stories in here as a contrast. He put these two stories next to one another to contrast them, juxtaposition for contrast, you know, as a writer's technique, to put two things next to each other that aren't the same and give us a reason to dig in and look at the differences between them. And so we're going to do that this morning. And uh, as I've kind of already talked about, we're, we're kind of going in a specific direction. I was going in an entirely different direction earlier in the week, and then I felt really clearly that uh, that wasn't the right direction. God wanted me to go in this direction. So this is where we're going to go. I'm entitling to this morning's sermon, Positioning Yourself to receive from God. Positioning yourself to receive from God. We've already talked about not responding the way that you wish you had. And I, I know I've had plenty of times in my life where, where I responded without thinking, where I put my foot in my mouth, where I said something that I wish I had not have said, and I still said it anyway, and there are things now that I regret saying that I shouldn't have said. And so I know that that's kind of our human condition, right? That, that we have a tendency to sometimes speak before we think about the words that we say. And you might be asking yourself, well, what, what happened in this passage that is that is worthy of that you know, foot-in-your-mouth kind of a thinking? What is, what is the, the, the phrase in this passage that you're talking about that is that is somebody putting their foot in their mouth? And that's a good question. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, I want to make some contrast. I want to kind of lay out the contrast to start painting the picture of why this is significant in the way that it is. The first contrast I want to point out is the status, what I'm calling the status contract. If anyone had you know, earned the right to receive a message from God and have you know, an, a, you know, a supernatural experience with the angel, you would think it would be Zechariah. How do I get to that? Well, we look at his description here in verse 5 and 6. We, we see a little bit about who Zechariah and Elizabeth are. Verse 5 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So who was Zechariah? He was a priest, and he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them, listen to this, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were righteous both. Both Elizabeth and Zechariah we're, we're given the status of being righteous in the sight of God. That is, that is their status as according to Luke. They had observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they hadn't had any kids. And you know, a lot of times, especially in this culture, if you hadn't had any kids, it would be seen as a judgment from God. And a lot of people might be assuming the reason that they were being judged by God was because you know, if you don't have kids, they think, well, you must have some sin in your life that God is judging you for, and so because you have this sin, you're not having kids. But, but Luke is making it clear, that's not the reason they didn't have kids. There's a greater purpose at play. They were both righteous in the sight of God. Not in the sight of man, but in the sight of God. And they were known for observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. So certainly they, you know, they had earned this right. They had earned the position of being able to stand in the presence of this angel. 
But let's look at Mary. Who was Mary? What do we know about Mary from what Luke shares with us? Let's go to verse 27. Mary is, this is, this is her status. This is, this is the explanation that's given to Mary. Mary was a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. That's what we know about Mary. It doesn't say, it doesn't say in, this, in Luke's description, we get more from the angel about this, but not a whole lot. Uh, Luke just saying this, her name was Mary, essentially. Her marital status and her name. Oh, but she's, from the, she's a descendant of David. That's, that's important. We'll get to that later. But, but it's nothing like we heard from Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? They were righteous in the sight of God. They had observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And you would think based on the outcome of what happened, you know, who the, the story is that uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they give birth to John the Baptist, but Mary gives birth to Jesus. You would think, well, who, who should be the one that's giving birth to Jesus here in this situation? We might think, well, why did God choose Mary over Zechariah? That's a good question. Because we, we don't really have a statement of her righteousness at least not from Luke, the angel says in his discussion with her, says, you are highly favored, so you have found favor with God. It doesn't say why. It doesn't, it doesn't say you are highly favored because you are extremely righteous and you observe all the Lord's commands. It just says you are highly favored. Why, why would Mary be highly favored? I, I have some thoughts on that. This is some of my conjecture. I think some of this we could back up from Scripture and other places, but First, my first explanation is there are times when God does things and he has reasons that we may never understand and we shouldn't question him. That's my first answer. I know you're really excited about this. Like, that's really deep. Thank you for sharing that with me. I've been waiting for that for weeks and weeks. God has reasons for doing the things that he does and sometimes we should just not question God. We should just trust him. And in fact, I think we can make that case from this story in just a minute. But look at our lives, right? We have a tendency when something great happens to uh, take credit for God's work. Don't, I mean, we, we kind of have a tendency to, to say, well, uh, you know, this was, you know, put myself in Zachariah's shoes. Well, why, why was I chosen? Why, why was I chosen to be the father of John the Baptist, the promised one who was to come to prepare the way for the Messiah? I, I was chosen because I, as the angel said, or I, was, I have observed all the Lord's, I have lived blamelessly. I have done these things that deserve to be chosen for such a thing, right? We have this tendency to puff ourselves up and take credit for what God has done when really the, the truth of the matter is God has reasons for why he's doing something that we may never understand and we should not question and we should respond in a specific way. We should not respond by taking credit for God's work. And in fact, could it be maybe that's one of the reasons that Zechariah was silenced? I don't know that for, for sure. That's my own conjecture. But maybe, maybe Zechariah would have been, been saying those kinds of things that made it sound like he had done something to be chosen. But what was it that made, that made Mary highly favored? What was it about her? What did she do? What gave her this clout to be chosen? Was it something she had done? And if it was, what about Zachariah? He'd probably done good stuff too, right? Was Mary highly favored because of the good stuff she had done? Or was Mary highly favored 
because God chose her. That's a very important question that we need to understand is that I think Luke is starting off making some points and some contrasts to help set the stage to position us to receive what God has for us through the story of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand, like we've talked about recently, that, that we are not chosen because of the good lives that we lead. We are chosen because God loves us and he wants to redeem us into his image. And I think that's a very important contrast that needs to be drawn out of this first thing is that, that, that Mary wasn't chosen because she had performed at a certain function. In fact, she wasn't the one who would be able to even claim that. She was chosen because God favored her. Why did God favor her? Well, God, had re- God has reasons that we may never, never understand and we should not question him. That's my answer to that question. So that's the status contrast. The second contrast, this is a very important one. We have to go just a little bit outside of our passage to get the fullness of this, but this is what I'm calling the belief-unbelief contrast. The belief-unbelief contrast. Let's go to verse 18, Luke chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. This is Zechariah's response to what the angel had said. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, uh, we, we should stop and explain that a little bit. You know, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, as we learned from the passage, had been wanting to have kids. And as Elizabeth's response tells us, you know, they had been desiring this for a long time. And now they're well along in years, which is a phrase that is used other places in the Bible to describe people who are way too old to have kids. That's essentially what that, what that phrase means, that, that Elizabeth is too old to have children. And it's just like Abraham and Sarah, or Sarai and Abram and Sarai before they received the promise and those things. It's, how can, how can this be, is the question, because I'm too old. And it seems like a reasonable response, doesn't it? It seems like a reasonable question. I'm an old man, my wife is an old woman, and he uses his, he talks about himself as an old man, but then he always uses a phrase that actually means really old when he's talking about his wife which is really funny. But uh, he says, um, how can I be sure of this? I'm old, my wife is really old, and uh, it's not, you know, how's this even possible? Seems like a reasonable question, right? If you're 100 years old, if you're 90 years old, or however old you are, and your wife is 90, 95 years old, and you think there's no way this is gonna happen, we would probably ask the same question, right? The angel said to him, this is the response. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. When we first read that, when I first read that, my, my response is like, come on, man, that's, a, that's an overreaction. Like, he didn't really deserve to be responded to in this way. I mean, He's just asking a question. Mary asked a question, and she didn't get responded to in the same way. Why can't Zechariah ask, ask a question of the angel just like Mary asked a question of the angel? And he gets this, he doesn't just, he doesn't just get smacked down by the angel. He gets this punishment. You're not going to speak. And he doesn't get to speak until after the baby is born. It seems, it seems extreme, doesn't it? It seems like, like an overreaction. Remember, as we're investigating Jesus through this book, there everything in here is here for a reason. There must be a reason that this is a part of the story that Luke wanted to share when he's telling us about Jesus. Let me give you a little background information to kind of help paint the picture. Because 
We have this back at, uh, in verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Verse 8, once when Zechariah, his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. First, here's a hint. If an angel appears to you with a message from God, you should just listen and not question. I think that's a good starting point. If, if, if we leave this place and, you know, and we go and we're praying and we go and we're you know, kind of worshiping God and then an angel shows up with this message, we should probably just listen and not question. I think that would be a great, a great starting point to go and then, uh, and then we'll go from there. But why did Zachariah get this response? Well, we should know that there were, there were a lot of priests that were in the area that had responsibilities. In fact, one of the commentaries said perhaps there were 18,000 priests that were a part of this responsibility that Zechariah had been chosen for. There were so many that they were chosen by lot, which, was, which is like rolling the dice, right? I mean, they would roll the dice, and whatever the dice said was whatever the die decided. And so that was kind of how they trusted God back. And it seems like, well, it seems like today, so we roll the dice, it seems like we're not trusting God. But back and then, that was a sign of trusting God to point the direction and tell us exactly what to do when we didn't know what to do. And so when you didn't know who to choose out of the 18,000 people, they would roll the die, and the die would tell you who to send in. But out of 18,000 priests, Zechariah gets chosen and there were so many priests chosen for these, that they were choosing from for these tasks that there is a good chance that this would be the only time in Zechariah's life that he would have been chosen to go in and burn the incense. I can't verify that for sure, but, but this had not happened very often for him. And if it, if it had happened, it wasn't very often, but maybe this was the only time. And here, all these things kind of set up. You know, the lot decided, it was God deciding by lot to send in Zechariah and Zechariah goes in to burn the incense, a task that should take only a few minutes. And while he's in there, he has this vision from the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel tells him these things. So you would think if you are old and wise and you were a priest and you had studied the things of God and you had been raised in the ways of God and learning how to follow and obey all the rules of God and teaching people how to live in accordance with the rules of God and knowing the history of God and the way that God had appeared to his people all throughout the history of the chosen people of Israel, that that if you were one of those chosen people that knew all of that stuff and you get sent into the temple to burn incense to God and you have a vision or an actual appearance of an angel, then you should know how to respond, right? Zachariah should have known better is essentially my point. I understand the question, but... But sometimes maybe do, do we get a little too educated? Do we get a little too learned? Where now we all of a sudden know more. We know better than God. Do we get to a point where, where we know so much that we know exactly how God would work and there's no room for God to work in ways that he decides to work because we have limited him to work within the confines of our understanding of how he should work? 
And when God does not work in the way that we expect him to work because we know so much about God, then we respond like Zechariah responded, which was with doubt. How do I know it was doubt based on his questions? Because he's just asking questions like Mary was asking questions, right? I don't, I don't necessarily know that it was doubt based on his question, but I know that it was unbelief because of how the angel responded to his question. Zechariah just said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. In other words, Gabriel is, shh, you didn't believe. Zechariah is quiet until John is born. But what about Mary? Mary asked questions. What makes Mary's questions different? I think it's the position that she's asking them from. So you have to go outside the text to learn about Mary's response. We actually learn from Elizabeth when she said of Mary in verse 45, she said that she's talking about Mary. She says, blessed, listen, is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The angel said of Zechariah, you didn't believe. Elizabeth is saying, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. See, Mary didn't have the religious training that Zechariah did. She didn't have the foundation that Zechariah did. She didn't even have the life experience that Zechariah did because our best estimates is that she was only 13 to 15 years old. Maybe 15 is even too old for how she was, how old she was. She didn't have the life experience. She didn't have the religious training. She wasn't married, so she didn't know the wisdom that comes with being married. And she had done nothing on her own to deserve being chosen. But still, she believed See, our mind would tell us, logic and reason would tell us that of these two, who should be the one that gets the better promise? We would put Zechariah up on the ladder, but really it was Mary who has the more honored response. Why? Why Mary? Why is Mary the example for us in this passage? It brings us to the third contrast I want to make, which I'm calling the humility contrast. The humility contrast. See, Zechariah's question, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along, in, well along in years, is coming from a position of pride. How can you say that? Well, first, when we doubt, which let me say, first one, if you have doubts, if you, if you have things that just don't make sense to you, you, you don't need to feel any judgment about that here. I've had doubts. I've had things that, that don't make sense to me, and, and I've always known that I can come to God, and you can bring those doubts to God, and you can, you can say, you know, I, I'm trying to believe you. I'm trying to trust you. This just doesn't make sense to me. Help me understand it. But, but when we, like Zachariah, make a definitive statement, what we're saying is, I have a position of superiority over God. 
When God says something to us, when his word comes to us, his, his perfect word comes to us, and we say, ah, I just don't believe it. I, I don't think that can possibly be true. We're saying, I know better than you. And let me just say, we never, ever, 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 just like Brian in the beginning, we didn't have enough evers memorized. We, we never know better than God. We think we do. We think we do because we're in it and we're living in the day in and day out of it. So we think we know better than God, but God knows everything and knows your life, your situation, your past, your present, and your future better than you know it right now. We should always trust God. Doubt assumes a position of superiority. And when God says something to you, we should not respond with unbelief. What should our response be? Our response should be that of Mary who said in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. See, doubt assumes a position of superiority where faith humbles ourselves before God. You hear that word humility, it should, it should kind of pop up in your mind because that's kind of a big part of who we are as a church to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. That's actually a verse in the Old Testament that Zacharias should have known that he should be living a life that does justice and loves mercy, and, and his, his position should be that of humility, walking humbly with God, and that should be our response. We should walk humbly with God because he has perspective over all of this that we can't possibly understand. And when he says to do something or to believe something or to take something or to know something, our response should be, I am your servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. I am your servant. Let your word come true in the way that I live out my life. I am your servant. Live through me the way you want to live. It should never be. Are you sure? See, doubt, doubt is making yourself superior to God where faith is agreeing with God. Faith is agreeing with God when he says something. So we have those three contrasts. We, we have the humility contrast, which we just talked about. We have, we have the belief-unbelief contrast that we started with, and then we have the status contrast, these three contrasts between Zechariah and Mary. And remember, we're investigating Jesus, so we have to have out the magnifying glass, and we're looking through here carefully. Why is this in here? And we have to understand that everything Luke put in, he put in by choice. It's in here on purpose. He wasn't embellishing or trying to meet a word count for his author. He chose carefully what needed to be said. So what is in here is in here on purpose. And also, I think we can deduce because of what we know of Luke that the order that he put things in is also intentional. Why would Luke start with the story of this, about Jesus, the Savior and the Messiah and, and the hope for all mankind with Zechariah and Mary? Like we, we, can, we can certainly understand well, he's just starting where the story begins. You know, Zechariah got this word and Mary got this word and then all these things were fulfilled and it all started. But, but I think there's more to it than that. If it was just simply data that we needed to know, why include so much detail? And I think the reason Luke is starting here is because he wants to set us up in the best position to receive Jesus. 
He's setting us up in, in a logical way like he would have done as, as any good Greek would have done when they're writing an apologetic, you know, a defense of, of somebody, kind of a, a document like this. He's, he's setting us up to receive what he's about to share. And, and I think it's important for us to start in this position as well that, that we need to be in the right position to be able to receive who Jesus really is. So we can't receive from God if we're in a position of pride, which leads us to doubt. Pride is all about me and my decisions, and I know best, and, and pride puffs myself up, and, and pride is about my ability to achieve something, my ability to earn, to work something. Pride is all about me, and if I can't do it, then it must not be true, and if I can't think it, then it must not be true, and if I can't decide it, then it must not be true. So, so pride is all about me, but if we really want to know Jesus, the true Jesus, the only Jesus of the Bible, we have to, we absolutely must start on this foundation of being humble. We must, like Mary, respond and say, whatever you say to me, I am your servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. And what is the promise of that? The promise of this is, is truly astounding. And we see evidence of it even in these verses. Luke one thirty seven says, for no word from God will ever fail. God's words will never fail. What God says is going to happen will happen. We can know with assurance that when God says something, it's going to take place. How do we know? Because whether you want to or not, whether you want to be in a good position to be a part of it or not, it's going to happen. Look at the life of Zechariah. God made a promise that this was going to happen and he should have been rejoicing because it had been something that he had been wanting his whole life and that he and his wife had been praying for and probably begging God for his whole life. And he should have been in a position of responding with joy when God brought this word to him. But, but God's, God brought this word and he didn't respond in the right way and so what was God's response through the angel be quiet it's going to happen you're just not going to be the same part of it like maybe you could have been if if you had believed so I'm going to do it and God's going to do it in a way that gets him the glory because God is all about getting the glory for himself and we can talk about that more later but God is going to say things that lead to him being glorified where we get to be a part of it. No word from God will ever fail. The word of God to Zechariah did not fail, and we're going to learn about that in, in the next weeks, that actually what the angel said did come true. No word from God will ever fail. We know, based on the fact that we're gathered here together today, that the word of the angel to Mary did not fail. She, in fact, did give birth to a son, gave him the name Jesus. No word from God will ever fail. Don't you want to be on the, on the right side of that truth? Don't you want to be on the right side of that truth where, where God sends his word and, and I'm going to respond in a, in a humble, humility-minded kind of a way so that I can be a part of what God wants to do? I'm not going to respond in, in pride and arrogance and, and, and be ignored and kind of kicked to the curb because I didn't respond. I want to be responding on the right side of that. I want to respond the same way Mary responded. I want to respond by saying, I am the Lord's servant. God's going to accomplish his purposes. He has a plan that he is moving and working to accomplish right now at this very moment. The question for us is, what state will, be in, will we be in when he does it? 
What state will each of us be in when, when God has something he wants to accomplish? Will we be in a position where we can actually join him in his work, or will we be in a position of pride and doubt? Will God have to silence you so that you don't stir up doubt about what he said? Or will you, like Mary, be able to sing praises and share with others who have heard from God because you humbly received what he wanted to hear? This is all my kind of reading into the text and trying to get into the mind of Luke, but I think, I think if Zechariah had it to do over again, he'd respond differently. Think if Zechariah had it to do over again, he would realize that his, his gut response, his first response, probably needed to be thought through just a little bit, and, and he should not have just opened his mouth and responded and put his foot, his, his foot in his mouth. He should have stopped and, and thought, there must be a greater plan in what God is doing through this. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. My question for all of us, whether you've been in the church and you've been following Jesus for your whole life, or if you're here today and you don't know if you believe in Jesus and you're not sure whether he's the real deal and you can actually trust him, I want to ask, are, are you positioned to be able to receive from God? Are you in the right position so that you can receive, or, or, or are you still in this position of, of pride and saying, you know what, that can't be right, that can't be how things actually work. I can't see how all of it comes together, so it must not be true. Are we, are we sitting in a position that actually puts us in superiority over God and saying, no, you cannot be who you say you are because I don't see it how you see it, or are we saying, you know what, I want to be in a humble position. I don't see the ins and outs of it. I can't see down the road how this is going to play out. I, I don't know all the details, but, but I want to receive what you have for me, so I'm going to humble myself and say, you are God, and I am not. You know things that I don't know. I just want to receive what you have for me. Have you positioned yourself to receive from God? Or maybe when God speaks to you like he may be speaking to you, even in this very moment, do you keep putting your foot in your mouth and responding in the wrong way? Let's stand together. Worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song. As we sing the song, we invite you to come forward and get the elements for communion. We'll take communion together after this song. But before we do that, I just want to, want to give you a chance to respond. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, if you will. Everyone, bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. God is calling you this morning. How are you going to respond? Maybe, maybe today, maybe now is the time to respond and from a position of humility and humble yourself like Mary did. And I just want to ask, I'm going to ask two questions to two different groups of people. First, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not put your faith in Him and you just have been in that position of not knowing whether you can believe or not,
But after listening to God's word today, not my words, but God's word, and as the Holy Spirit has been here and he's been working to open the eyes of our hearts to be able to receive this truth, God's truth, maybe God has been working in your heart today and, and you're ready to respond and say, you know what, I've been, I've, been, I've been in a position of pride for too long. I've been saying what I think needs to be said for too long and I'm ready to come to God from a position of humility and I want to humble myself before the Lord and I want to say I am the Lord's servant and I want his word to be fulfilled in me. I'm ready right now this morning to stop trying so hard to earn my position, to stop trying so hard to achieve my status before God. I'm ready this morning to stop trying to work it all out on my own and even though I don't know all the ins and outs of how God wants to do this, even though I don't know all the ins and outs of how God is leading me to this decision and I can't see the whole picture, all I know is that I want to agree with God today. I don't want to disagree with him any longer. I want to position myself to receive from God. If that is you this morning, if you're ready to take that step and make that commitment to follow Jesus Christ and humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, would you raise your hand right now? Yeah, several hands going up. I want to pray for you. I ask you, if you're making that statement, to pray this prayer with me as we pray. You don't have to pray it out loud, just pray it in your heart and in your mind as I pray it. Heavenly Father, I'm done pretending to be you. I'm done, I'm done pretending to know all of the answers and positioning myself as though I am God. And right now in this moment, because I know my shortcomings, because I know in your eyes I've, I've come up short from the, the standards you have for me, that I've even come up short of my own standards that I have of my own life, and that of my own power and my own strength, I have nothing to do to earn my position with you. And right now in this moment, Father, I'm praying, I believe your word to me, I don't understand it all. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I believe your promise that, that no word from you will ever fail, and I'm believing your word for me right now, so I'm taking that word and, and trusting it even though I can't see the end, even though I can't see the whole picture. And, I, and I'm going to say right now, Father, I believe in what you're telling me is happening in the story of Jesus Christ. And I believe in such a way that I'm willing to, from this day forward, commit my entire life to, to following him, that, that I'm now at this point going to reorder my entire life around his word, his ways, his truth for me, and I'm going to take him at his word and trust him for what he says to me, and I'm going to live that out for the rest of my days. The mantra of my life is I am the Lord's servant. May his word be fulfilled in me. Now for the rest of us, I want to pray. We can, get, we can get in a position where we think we know thoroughly the ins and outs of how God works and what God does and what God says, and that's good to know and to know more and to gain more and more knowledge of who God is. But have we allowed that knowledge to puff us up to a point where we no longer believe when he comes to us and tells us to do something. And I want to pray for all of us from this point forward.
this prayer, myself included. Father, I pray that all of us gathered in this room this morning, that it would be the statement of us that we walk humbly with our God. I pray that that we would follow the example of Mary set for us, that that we would be willing to humble ourselves in the sight of God and trust that as, as we humble ourselves, he will lift us up where he wants us to be. We humble ourselves that, that we, we may have a lot of knowledge that we've acquired over the years coming to church for a long time, and, and yet that knowledge hasn't quite fleshed out in the way that we live our lives, and so there's a gap that, that still needs to be filled in, and, and we, we acknowledge that, that we don't even know all the ins and outs of how our faith is actually working or all the things that you're telling us or where you're leading. There's just a lot of questions that we don't have answers to, and My response is not going to be, I know better than you. I, I think I know what you would say. My response is going to be, I'm your humble servant. I, I will humble myself and, and I, will, I will do what you tell me to do. I will humble myself. I will say what you want me to say. I will humble myself. I will live how you want me to live. I will humble myself and I will be who you want me to be because I trust that your ways are higher than my ways, that your plans are greater than my plans, that your perspective is higher than my perspective, and where you sit, you see so much more than I could ever understand or comprehend, and that you can see more for my life, and you have a better plan for my life, and you have more hope and potential and promise for my life than I could ever dream up for my own being, and I just want to, from this point forward, humbly walk with you and receive your truth your love, your story for me. In Jesus' name, amen.